So hi everybody and welcome to episode one of this year's August Acceleration series, which is all about reclaiming our potential and finding all the hidden corners where we might have stashed some of our potential that we haven't even thought about might be there. And I'm just really delighted with the lineup of guests that we've got um, for you this month and hugely thrilled to introduce you to Zandra Hawes, who is uh, my very first guest. And Zandra is coming to us um, from Boulder in Colorado in the US. And um, she's such an interesting person. And I know that you're going to be wanting more once you hear and you start to hear her experience and what she's got to say and um, and all the and all the pearls are going to roll off her tongue as she starts speaking. But let me just give you a little background on Sandra before we begin. So she is a licensed therapist, um, but she's also a psychic medium and a spiritual mentor. And when you put psychotherapy and psychic mediumship and spiritual mentoring all together, you realize that we've got a very rich conversation coming. So um, she's... Uh, She's got an MA in uh, in clinical mental health counselling, and um, she is a licensed professional counsellor in, in Boulder. But she does so many more things because she's also an ordained minister through the Psychic Horizon Centre, and she's completed several advanced programmes with them, which is, also involves clairvoyance and, um, and trance mediumship and ministry and energy healing. And then she's also done an awful lot of shamanic work as well, um, with some of you may know Sandra Engerman, really well-known shamanic practitioner with a wonderful school in the US. And from there, Sandra's even gone into folk herbalism, and she's gone into ancestral healing and wild crafting. So I've 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 barely touched the surface when you uh, you can read her full bio underneath this, but I'm gonna say hi, Sandra. Thank you so much for coming. And I'm going to just get you to introduce yourself in your own words, because I always think it means more to people than when I'm, you know, reading a bio. <laughs> oh, well, you do such a great job of it. And I think it's so funny, right? All the different things that we weave together as we learn and things. So you're right. I've been all over the place trying to look at this intersection a lot of times between psychology, between spirituality, all of it. And it's fascinating. It is really fascinating because um, we've called this this episode one session "Emotions: The Bridge to Consciousness," because I think I've I think it was something that I learned through my own journey way back in my twenties that I really needed to feel to heal, and that feeling and healing were so intimately linked that if we can't do one, we don't get to the other. And so much of what happens in healthcare today doesn't involve going anywhere near our emotions, does it? No. So I'd just love to hear, you know, your perspective on that. Yeah. Well, you know, what's fascinating on the topic of, of feeling to healing, it was interesting because I've worked with a lot of different populations in the psychotherapy realm. And one of the first populations that I worked with were this sense of, feeling it to heal it became so, so clear was actually when I was working with folks that were more towards end of life that were working with Alzheimer's, dementia, and I was overseeing, you know, 24 seven care teams where there'd be 12 to 14 people on our team with people all the time. And we started noticing that people that were nearing end of life 
all of a sudden there would be these massive emotional releases that would start happening. All of a sudden they would sort of regress into really, really younger states. And a lot of people, when that happens, they start treating older people like children or at lower functioning. But what we saw on a spiritual level was all these things that were stuck in the body, all these different traumas that had happened at four years old or seven years old or 12 year old, 12 years old before these folks were deciding to pass, the body was actually releasing these things and they were feeling them and going through them. And I started asking, well, why, you know, why would these things come out now? And what I realized in a way is that sometimes the body waits until we're at a mature enough place to actually deal with big emotional things that maybe we couldn't deal with as children. Maybe as children, we don't have the right support system or the right friend group or things like that. And as these folks were getting older and a lot more wiser and a lot more um, rest and downtime, to be honest, all of these things started coming through. And so a lot of the work was helping them resource themselves through emotions that actually had been stuck in the body that they had never felt and they would start detoxing through and i thought wow how wise before someone decides you know to cross the threshold or whatever you believe to not bring those things and to let the body have that big freedom so i'm a big fan that's where that journey started really feeling into around if we feel things, we can actually heal things. And the more that we're willing to be in our emotional center and not overly feed them, but be with them with courage and with love and this sense of being able to hold ourselves, the more we actually go towards emotional freedom and the more emotions don't actually get stuck in ourselves. They actually move through the body a lot quicker if we don't get hooked into them and we're not so afraid of them. Yeah. It's so true because, um, We've kind of we've been we've been built with emotions like you know they're they're a navigation system aren't they, mm-hmm. and yet uh, so many of us until we learn otherwise, hang on to them, hang on to them, stuff them down, and they end up having such an effect on the physical tissues because if we don't process them, the body's got to hold on to them, and and I guess this is kind of a huge crux of your work, isn't it? It's huge. I mean, I see folks at all different ages. You know, I work with like psychic kids that have really big sensitivities and things, and they're learning how to regulate everything they see. I work with a lot of empaths and a lot of folks that are actually learning how to re establish a healthy connection to emotions because there's been so much blurriness around. I don't want to feel it because it's too much, or if I actually let myself feel emotions, there's this difficult, um, kind of boundary between understanding what's ours and what someone else's is. And I think a lot of people shut down the emotional center because there is this sense of not being able to regulate energy, not being able to be clear around what's ours. And so even um, two days ago, I was coming home from the airport and I, I just, I love people. It's like, I love talking to people. I have the most crazy stories of who I get to sit next to on airplanes or in ride shares and lifts. And um in the process of trying to get home from the airport, there's this, I get into this huge, you know, in the United States, this massive truck. And there's this guy and there's this Tesla that literally almost kills us like twice. And luckily the driver is very good. And these emotions start getting kicked up for him. And I was like, oh, I wonder how he's gonna regulate himself. And I was like, thank you so much for saving us. And we get in this big conversation in astrology about how he's a cancer sign and he feels everything, but he has a switch that he's developed as a man to turn it on and off so that people don't take advantage of him. And we started talking about how 
he has this martyr energy where he feels everyone's experiences. And so he gives when he doesn't feel like it in order to save people because he doesn't trust that people can handle themselves and that builds resentment. And it's just all of this, these layers in here around when we don't know how to work with our emotions, when we don't know how to have good boundaries, when we don't know how to trust other people, we sort of shut that really amazing system down that can be such a gift, especially if you're sensitive. A lot of people think of sensitivity as a weakness, but I really think of it as a strength. Um, and like you said, a navigation system. So, so many stories, even as we're talking, I'm like, oh, there's so many pieces around the feeling to healing it and people working with it in their own amazing ways. But I always think of the goal is to have more of our freedom, whether it's our spiritual freedom, whether it's our mental freedom, our emotional freedom, the goal is to not be afraid of ourselves or feel like we have to hide parts of ourselves because we're afraid that we might get lost in it. Um, a lot of that has to do with resourcing ourselves differently. Yeah, that that is so true. And before I go there, I just want to draw you back to something you said, because I know that some of our audience might not um, be familiar with the term empath. And I just wondered if you could sort of explain that a little bit more and how that links into sensitivity. Yeah, absolutely. So I sort of, I don't know if this is a real coined thing, but it's what I think of in my head. Um, I call it the spectrum of sensitivity. And so sensitivity a lot has to do with our ability to feel into energies around us, right? And they can be sort of on a spectrum. Some people might be known as an HSP or a highly sensitive person. It's becoming more of like a clinical word. It's not yet like a full diagnosis, but it's becoming more pop culture psychology around someone who literally the world physically around them feels like it's on steroids, maybe certain crowds, lights, sounds. Sometimes people that are HSPs can have different thinking patterns or even be on the spectrum, but a lot of people identify as it feels like their nervous system, nervous system is just hyper aware of a lot of the stimuli around them. And that can be from trauma that that's created. And some people are actually just born with that. And then empaths, they can be highly sensitive people. So you can have that part as well. But an empath has to do a lot in feeling other people's literal emotions. If you're the person that, you know, for example, walks into a room, maybe you're going to dinner and you walk into a restaurant and maybe it's not so busy, but you kind of scan the tables as you're waiting for yours and immediately you're like, ooh, that person's angry over there, right? We can kind of pick up body cues around those things, but an empath literally feels the energy in their body. The heart might become heavy. They might start getting sort of anxious because they might notice someone else getting anxious. And so there is literally a way that you sense into the bigger emotional energies. And as we know, emotions literally are energy that are pouring out of our energetic field. So we can pick up on those things at a biochemical level. And some people are just more trained or attuned to those things. So empaths are people that sometimes struggle. There's the empowered empath, which is recognizing those things and being able to separate, separate yourself from it. And then there's the disempowered empath, which is the person that often feels prisoner to those things and often feels um, very unresourced. And usually those are the folks that shut down and talk about people being too much or needing to isolate or can go into martyr energy where we sort of don't trust other people because we can feel their energy so strongly that we feel like we have to take care of things for people or we just don't trust because we can feel their energy that they're not going to be healthy or safe. And again, there can be a lot of attachment style in there and psychology 
there can be a lot of rescuer energy from parents and things like that. So there's reasons why in there, but that's probably with examples, the simplified definition there. That's great. And I think the main take home is that there is a route through for whichever level of sensitivity you are um, to be able to learn how to have a filter between you and the rest of the world. Is that so? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people feel, especially if you grow up in certain family systems where, you know, say you have, um, say you have a parent that's really, really dysregulated. Say you have a parent that's not very in, like in tune with their emotions kids feel everything they're so aware and they model themselves off of parents because parents to children are kind of like their first gods right they're like this is this is my model this is what we do right this is how we get along in life which can be so helpful in certain ways and also there can be this deep programming about not being able to work with certain energies based off of what we're taught and what we're seeing but there's absolutely ways to work with it And as this episode is about, sometimes in order to actually find courage and strength in emotions, you have to learn your own language of them. Because if you can learn your own language and you stop being scared of your own emotions, people, other people's emotions and other people become a lot less scary. A lot of being able to deal with other people's emotion is a direct mirror for us being able to deal with our own emotions. So the more work that we can do, around really understanding and mapping out how we feel and noticing where avoidant behavior can come in to to avoiding those things. And there's so much in our world that's just so excited for us to do that, (laughs) to avoid and go consume and, you know, do other things. Um, The more we, we put the work in, the more that we can actually be with other people, the more we actually heal our world, as weird as it sounds, the more we invest in us, the more we invest in our entire society changing and growing and healing. It's pretty profound, actually, on a micro and macro level. It, it is. I mean, that's what we found. You know, everything we do in Alliance for Natural Health is aligned with nature. And we do find that when you start to take more care of yourself and you really, you know, you really get into what that means at every level, then the knock-on effect is you become a better caretaker for the planet as well. And for all of the species and the life forms that's in it, because you just become so conscious. And I think that's, um, that's the other point that I really wanted to talk about with what you're, with what you're saying now is that emotions and consciousness kind of go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And we've just been through a pretty uh, unusual time on the planet in the last few years um it's like um if somebody could have just you know spun the dice and let everything you know the chips fall where they may that's kind of where everyone is at the moment but what but what we're seeing is this huge um uh you know this this huge explosion in consciousness and people are suddenly looking through it's almost like they uh, they had the veil just moved aside so they could see a little bit clearer Mm -hmm. and one of the reasons why um, we're doing this series this month is because I know that there is um, there is so much um, you know calling in people now to, uh, to 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 answer their heart and to to listen a little bit deeper and so I love the fact that um, so much of your work helps people tap into their inner wisdom and um, and start finding their soul's purpose and we know from all the work that's been done on the blue zones, uh, Michelle Poulin, all the work that was done there, um, that mission and purpose is the number one 
top of the list reason. So when our founder, Rob Verkirk, actually met Michelle Poulin and he said to him, um, you know, I love it. I mean, I can see what all the sort of nine, 10 criteria are, but he said, if you had to pick one that was top of the list, what would you say? And Michelle Poulin said, without a doubt, it's mission and purpose. And, and I think that, you know, that also speaks to our soul's purpose. So could you just weave into this tapestry sort of the concept of consciousness and soul's purpose and how, you know, and how you help your clients to kind of find, find their way through with all of that? Mm-hmm. I think it's such a good question. And I even draw from that authenticity because if we can be our full authentic selves, we actually find that mission and purpose actually comes through a lot more clearly. It's when we are not in our full authenticity that depression starts to happen, that anxiety starts to happen. There's what if, there's all of these things we're not being our authentic selves. And so when we talk about consciousness and what I call soul essence and things of that nature, it comes from my perspective is sort of grounded a little bit in sort of the Buddhist psychology standpoint. And so it comes in from the perspective that at the core of sort of the Tibetan Buddhism that I sort of studied and that my degree sort of came out of, mm-hmm. essentially there's a concept called um, basic goodness or brilliant sanity. And it's this sort of, it's a little bit um, uh, more of an image, I think sometimes in like a tangible, but it essentially says that there is this inherent goodness, there is this light, there is this soul. They don't always use the word soul. There is this energy within us that we are born with that is pure kindness, goodness. It it comes from love, it comes from health, it comes from healing. And that as we go through trauma or as we go through difficult experiences, sometimes there are patterns or things that are programmed into us that are not actually us and they become like clouds so if we can imagine that goodness or that consciousness or that essence the sort of buddhist perspectives is we're born with that energy and then as we go through life there are sort of these clouds sometimes that get in the way and so there can be this longing in people to access that more readily and to feel loved and connected to that anxiousness or to that consciousness and so sort of your question it there seems to be a lot of folks that are doing a lot of work on the clouds around wow there is this longing or there is this deeper knowing in me there's a mission and a purpose there's authenticity there's something deeper in me that's starting to wake up and resonate and sometimes there's a concept in the us that's gaining a lot of traction and it's called spiritual materialism or um spiritual bypassing and it's this kind of funny concept that in the process of trying to connect with that, you sort of miss the emotional work. You miss doing sometimes the painful work of peeling away these clouds because sometimes when we tap into that essence or that consciousness or this deeper wisdom within us, this is the feel to heal place. Sometimes when we are kind of um, moving into that frequency, the body detoxes out the old emotions, almost like the first story that I told. So what I see a lot is that people are having these spiritual awakenings or sometimes there can be traumatic events that happen for people and it sort of opens them to this greater web that they exist in that they're curious about and they can feel kind of through their sensitivity, but it's it's hard to conceptualize it usually to begin with. But the spiritual materialism and bypassing concepts are basically 
saying that it's all sunshine and rainbows in the process and not showing that sometimes in order to let go of the clouds or the old pieces or the programming that was never us there sometimes are tears there's sometimes sadness there's sometimes anger because those are the locked up emotions that got in there that sort of doled that connection in the first place so i do a lot of work with helping people uncover that from a psychotherapy lens but sometimes especially sensitive empathic intuitive people that light switch is already on but it has been filled with doubt there's so much doubt about being able to trust the self so it's really learning how to work that patterning out of the body and really affirming new belief systems in there mm. as well a little bit of a long answer and but again the weaving no i i mean it's beautiful you weave such you know such gorgeous uh pictures for people to understand and and what I what I can hear as well is that um, I just love that you've come through, you know, the psychotherapy side, which is, you know, really serious medical discipline. Um, but then you're also weaving in the softness of the Buddhist tradition. But in what you're saying as well, you know, the ancient wisdom um, from the shamans is in there as well, because, I mean, this is a little bit, isn't it, about, you know, the soul retrieval that they used to do and the shadow work and finding the parts of ourselves that we've jettisoned because, you know, too painful, too hard, too difficult, too hard basket. Um, you know, could you talk a little bit about, um, about you know, collecting pieces of ourselves along the journey? Yeah, I love and you've probably seen this too, right? In your work, especially with health, there are so many overlaps where in one tradition, it's called something else, mm -hmm. right? And another tradition, you're like, oh, this is so fascinating. This is sort of the cultural understanding of this here. So I think about how, yes, in Elena, there's so many different types of shamanism, right? But at, at some of the core of it, it's working when traumatic, painful things happen. I sort of think of um, some of those traditions kind of view the soul almost like um, almost like liquid, almost like a glass. Like our soul is just like not one constructed thing. It's more etheric. It's more flowing like water. And you can be in contact with all of it or you can be in contact with pieces of it. And so, right, some forms of shamanism talk about when painful, traumatic things happen, that it's like part of the soul actually leaves the body and goes to a safer space. Actually, it's saying that soul loss happens and all of a sudden we can feel like because of trauma part of our goodness or part of that trust or inner knowing left and that energy sometimes of doubt of pain of things like that sits in our space and that's not to say that grief or sadness or all those things don't have a really beautiful part it's just important to let the body work through those things and sometimes a lot of people don't aren't with it in appropriate way. And so we don't, we kind of hold on to it and it becomes our belief system and we disconnect from that knowing part of us versus if we go over here into psychology, I was reading um, Sandra Ingerman's soul retrieval book, which I love and was taught how to do, how to bring pieces of people's souls back. And I was sitting there reading the book and I was like, oh, in some ways this is like clinically what they call disassociation. This is fascinating. Yeah. So this is, Right. When a traumatic event happens, it's like we dissociate. Right. Or even um, two years ago, I was driving down the road on a big, big highway. And all of a sudden I saw a motorcyclist go down, going like 60 miles an hour and just sliding down the road. And I was like, oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. OK, OK. And we ended up stopping. 
and connecting with this being and right like dissociated like the like the soul the consciousness we go into shock right the body is trying to figure out what's going on and so sometimes there can be healthy ways of sort of this consciousness and or this awareness leaving the body in a way here and sometimes if we don't come back in if we don't regulate it can literally feel like a traumatic event like part of us left there and it can be really hard to access that part in therapy as well so sometimes if i'm talking if someone's really trying to move through and talk through an event that's really painful sometimes they'll literally go blank or they'll look at me and pause and i'm like is it getting blurry and they're like yeah it's getting blurry and i'm like great so that's that's the part in that experience where consciousness left so that energy you need to bring your conscious awareness in a trauma-informed way back in help you run energy together and help you bring this this awareness back in so that the body can actually let it go because that's the part where they left so there can be these overlaps in different traditions about how when painful things happen we as a being as a soul as a body work with it and there are different ways to bring those things back hence the spirituality and the psychic mediumship and soul and a little bit more of that work or sometimes it's more through the talk therapy or the somatic therapy or the mindfulness or somatic regulation techniques, things like that. I think that's the the thing is there's so many roots, but, um, but what is amazing is that um, the way to heal these bodies has been known for such a long time through all the ancient traditions, through all the indigenous tribes, uh, through the trance work, through, through everything. And I feel like it's now time for us to, not denigrate one over another we need to realize that each individual has got their own path to healing and you know to put it all out like a you know like a beautiful buffet um so that people can choose you know what their calling is as to what they need to do now and now and now um and so you know that's why i just i love talking to you and working with you because you you bring so many of these and you just blend them in so effortlessly mm-hmm. and uh, i guess this translates to your work as well does it do you choose to pull on different parts of your own skill base um you know depending who's in front of you and 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 what they're needing yeah absolutely it's it's interesting because there's more in in sort of the bureaucratic parts, right, of the, yes. <laughs> of the therapy realm, there's there's such a range of how people work. And what's fascinating to me is that if someone's coming in and saying, hey, I, I think I want to heal something, a lot of times on the psychotherapy level, psychotherapy sometimes is very past-based. It's like, okay, what is stopping you in present time from being your authentic self? Are we looking at certain trauma-based things? Are we sort of making a map of what's stopping you from being in the way and we're going backwards a lot of the time sometimes we're doing future but a lot of the times it's really past based and a lot of the times psychotherapy is learning how to trust the self it's learning how to be enough and those are all based off of past experiences our mirrors that were never true in the first place for most people so it's really kind of looking at helping them trust themselves Versus if someone's coming in, say for like a, I do psychic medium readings for people all over the world. And a lot of times it's like if someone has a very particular question about something or they want to open those abilities for themselves. I stopped doing as many psychic readings because I was like, I really just want people to access this information themselves because they can't. 
but it's doing and clearing out a lot of that work. So I still do some psychic readings for folks, but a lot of the psychic mediumship and the spiritual mentorship is people that feel really resourced in present time. They're like, I actually feel really good on a past level, but I'm really looking forward. This is my vision. This is what I would love to move into. This is what I've been curious about. Maybe they're going through a spiritual awakening where all of a sudden things are coming through their dreams. Sometimes I see people um, on the spiritual, I call it spiritual emergency. It was uh, coined by a really amazing man called Ed Podville, who was part of the kind of Buddhist psychology place. And he talks about how sometimes it's through losing a particular person that we love that all of a sudden there's this search for meaning and understanding and all of these sort of spiritual things can come through. All of a sudden animals we start seeing and it feels like there's something there, colors, symbols, there's this speak that starts coming through and people say wow something's opening in me something's coming through that seems really traumatic in a way but it's more forward so when someone's coming in a lot of times i'm looking at are they needing to trust themselves and it's very much so based off of a past experience or is someone coming in and is really looking to open these abilities up for themselves and they have a vision but they feel very resourced and clear where we're not going into trauma-based psychotherapy. We're sort of going into clairvoyant skill sets and clairvoyant just means clear seeing. So it just is helping yeah. someone see more clearly. Um, a lot of times there's a lot of red tape people think around psychic abilities. And I'm like, no, 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 everyone is, everyone is psychic. We're all on the psychic sensitivity spectrum. It just depends on how clear you are to receive the information. That's, I guess that's how I see it at least. I, 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 yeah, I'd agree is that uh, we've all got the same gifts, haven't we? It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's just the fact that um, our conditioning and our programming and our life experience can have taken us down different pathways. And, um, and I think that um, personally, I think that it's no um, coincidence that uh, our entire education system takes us away from ourselves currently. Mm -hmm. And so the yearning that people have for something that they don't know what it is that leads into addictions and, you know, negative behavior patterns and, you know, depression and anxiety and deep, deep trauma. Mm -hmm. So much of it is because the calling of our own inner being, our own soul's wisdom, our journey, we can't, it can't get through, you know, the clouds basically. Mm -hmm. And um, so do you also, um, you know, have a, a lot of success with helping people move through uh, physical health issues as well, because so much emotion is linked into into what our body's dealing with as well. I think there's, you're right, there's such a intersection where sometimes I'll see folks, for instance, there's a person that came into my practice years ago, and they had been diagnosed over and over and over again with fibromyalgia over and over and I see that a lot actually with sensitive people and it was interesting because this person was in the medical field and so she would get really frustrated because she literally worked in the medical field she knew all these different tests she knew all the western medicine and yet there was nothing that could be pointed to around doing anything or you know anything any all of her panels basically came out clear they're like you're healthy you know this is in your head basically and so working together and she's very sensitive very empathic and we realize that 
it was so easy for her when she was in a car, for instance, and maybe an ambulance was coming down the road and everyone would have to pull over. She would literally, she could feel the pain of what, whatever was going on inside. She could feel the anxiety of the people going past. Sometimes she would cry or tear up because it was so, she was so aware of what was happening. She could feel other people on the road. There was this way of being able to feel into those things, but it was in a disempowered way. So it was this way around like, I feel so much. And I've noticed that at least it seems to be in our world, a lot more people that can tap into pain and sadness than they can into joy and happiness. We, we can, but we're like so attuned to like notice the pain and the sadness and the anger more and people sort of match that frequency. So when I work with people that are having physical pains in the body, sometimes diagnostically it's through the fibromyalgias of the world, or it will be like, there's a pain right here. There's, there's a pain right here. And a lot of times we will get people on the team as well around body workers, or we look at health or there's nutritionists. And we try to get a team of people together to make sure that all pieces are being helped in a way there too. But it is very common for someone to come in and have especially I see like with women, like pelvic pain and things like that around birth trauma, around fear of being enough, around, you know, sexual abuse, things of that nature. All of these emotional things, our body's amazing. It's like this massive, amazing backpack that has all of these resources, but sometimes we shove things there um, in different parts of the body. And a lot of the energy work that I teach has to do with a lot of more chakra based things and running energy through certain meridians and things like that. And so people sometimes have been able to clear weird pains in things that have been with them their whole lives because they realized it was more emotional. And sometimes I, I wonder how much pain that we're actually carrying if it sits too long in the body and festers. I think it was uh, Louise Hay who had so much medical intuitive stuff and when you look up like cancer, her perspective was that it's anger and resentment that's been sitting and seething in the body and has the body has started to like attack itself in different ways. And again, I can't confirm or deny whether that's true, but I always look at how are our emotional health, if we hold something in our bodies and we restrict around it and the muscles and everything starts um, orbiting around that, it has to impact us. Right. I'm just, you know yeah. so much about this in the health yeah. industry. I'm like, yeah. Mel, take I mean, it. Take <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Um, because our, our tissues hold memory. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these emotions that are meant to be a navigation system that are meant to be showing us the way and guiding us, mm -hmm. we end up grabbing onto and stashing down and not feeling and hanging on to. And I think our bodies have been made to process emotions like we breathe oxygen in and out and um and yet the whole of our society you know there's all these emotions that are bad and so they sit in this corner and then you're not meant to feel them or share them or show them and these emotions are okay but actually you can only let them out to a certain percentage because otherwise you know you're just too much for people and so you know by the time you get to adulthood and you've come through your childhood and schooling and all the peer pressure and you're pretty much boxed up um and then and then depending on what route you go down you are stay in the box and you find a level of happiness 
or you spend decades going through all the shadow work to get out the box so that you can actually then change your life completely. So um, I think um, I I never did well in the box. And, um, and I, had, I had a body that was very, very sick. So I spent the first 20 years of my life incredibly ill. Mm-hmm. And when I got into, when I was 20, and I was kind of left on the medical scrap heap, and uh, they washed their hands with me and it's like, well, there's nothing more we can do for you. And I'm like, well, I'm really sick and I have a non-functioning body. What am I going to do? And at, and for me, it was the spiritual door that opened before the physical healing door. And uh, and I and I, I grabbed it with both hands because, as I say, the box never fitted me very well. So I was happy to get out of it um, and go and play in a different box. Uh, and so I learned in my 20s the power of emotion and how we've got to let all of this stuff out so that we can start to have a body that functions. But, it, you know, it it took me some time. And I'm so committed now to finding people like you and like some of the others I'm going to be talking to this month and the information that I share to show people that, you know, for me, it was a 25-year journey. And it, oh, look, we're, we're never at the destination, are we? But what I mean is that to get a body that kind of works and to be able to live the life that I want to be leading, it took me 25 years. But that learning, your learning, what where we've all got to, it doesn't have to be the same for other people because we, we can come and we can share all of this and people can choose what their fast track's going to be. And I'd also, I mean... I, I know that uh, you and I are, um, I've been doing this a lot longer than you. Um, and so I can say that going back into the um, 80s and 90s, the shadow work was hard and you really had to get down dirty with the processing. But have you noticed um, that we really seem to be able to um, process incredibly quickly now we they see there's there's a different energy and a different consciousness and a different um i mean have you, have you noticed that the speed of of lightness of being has changed i'm it feels like how do i say this it has been this massive influx over the past few years of almost like people don't have a choice and, and when I say don't have a choice, it's it's almost like people are coming in and they're saying, I'm not sure what's happening. I All of a sudden I'm thinking in a different way. All of a sudden I'm noticing there's this desire for more authenticity. I'm realizing that I don't wanna work for a company that doesn't appreciate me. I wanna have meaningful, there's this longing or there's this desire to be more in alignment with our best selves there's this desire meaning purpose authenticity we are meaning making creatures and our emotions we love being fed by things that feel good right on a primal level so what i have noticed is that when i started going into psychotherapy and i started working with people there was a lot of just trying to heal at a certain level. I want to heal my depression. Okay. You know, I don't want to be sad. I don't want to be anxious as much, but I've been finding, and this is where the, the intersection of the spirituality and the psychology pieces is that people are saying, not only do I want to not have this in my life, 
but there's something more there's something better there's something that will not leave me alone it's almost like not in a mean way but like something sort of poking or something sort of kind of in people's minds that is saying I want to live a more authentic, more aligned life. And I didn't know I could ask that for myself. And what I see is tricky is that I feel so grateful for the explosion of coaches and the explosion of people that are like, I want to mentor, I want to help through their experiences. So there's so many people going through and doing the shadow work. And then you have all this criticism of like how people are doing it or the right ways. And I just try to send love to everyone's process of how they're doing it as long as it's authentic. But it seems to be, I'm seeing a lot of, and it might just be the people that I see, but there's a lot coming through spiritual awakenings. There's a lot coming through spiritual emergencies. There's a lot I see coming from losing a loved one. I see a lot of people like losing a job. I can't even tell you my office is, um, about a mile away from CU Boulder. So I see a lot of PhD students, a lot of master's students, and they're going into programs and they're in the middle of them and saying, oh my gosh, this is what my mom wanted me to do. This is what my mom wanted me to do. I am terrified because I've never asked myself what I want to do, but there is this way of struggling with trying to grit, right? And put in the hard work for things. Because it seems like a lot of older generations were like, I just need to put in the work. I just have to suck it up. I just have to do what's needed. And there's a lot of judgment from older generations about younger generations being lazy or entitled, which, you know, there could be some in there, like the technology and things. But with this generation, there is something around like, I'm not willing to settle for something that's not meaningful or purposeful. And I, in my experience, people have been willing to do the work of that sort of lit up. But it's there's a lot more folks requiring that meaning and purpose and authenticity and being awake, feeling good, taking care of ourselves. There's so much of a I want that now versus it seems like in older generations, it's this programming of you have to work yourself into the ground and then you eventually retire and then you get to enjoy life. You just got to work for decades. And there's something wise to be said about persevering and really hanging in there and learning so much about your edges and mastering things, but it's different generationally. I'm sort of seeing even folks in older generations that I'm seeing that are retired are noticing that and saying, I had this like idea that I would just be in my 60s and I would just get to enjoy. And what I'm finding is that I didn't get to enjoy all that time. And so now I'm doing all the shadow work that got built up during those ages. And now they're doing all the emotional work that they didn't feel like they had time to because of their kiddos, because of their job, you know, um, because of all these obligations, they didn't feel like there was time or space. So they packed them away. And now that they have space, the body's like, great, let's detox all these things out that you've had to shove in your backpack over this many years for your kiddos. And they're like, oh man, like, I wish I would have done some of this before. I just thought it was going to be easier. So I don't know if anyone ever gets away with shoving those things down in the body. When I worked with folks with Alzheimer's and dementia, they certainly didn't. So not, not in a threatening way. I don't want to throw it out there, no, but the, the no. body keeps the score, right? It, it holds the it. body. It, it does. I don't, I don't think any of us get away with it. I just think that um, we're on this amazing freight train of this paradigm shift in consciousness. And it is changing the experience because before all those decades ago, it was a small, small minority of people that were doing it. Now there are so many more, and and this this desire for 
you know, a heart-led life, meaning and purpose, being guided, you know, feeling the inner calling. And uh, I, I mean, I, I, I'm thrilled by that because I think that life, you know, this this concept of life is struggle. I mean, we so need to change the paradigm on that, you know, because life is meant to be joyful, and we're also meant to be here to experience uh, the positive power of creation. And so, if we don't process our emotions if we don't cross that bridge to our own consciousness if we can't feel our soul's purpose then we can't live a joyful life can we you know i mean mikey says you're supposed to just do it right yes you're just so supposed to buy all the things i i i agree with you wholeheartedly and it's so tricky because i'm curious to see how the soul and being in alignment with the soul, how we can do that on our own without being sold certain things. And that's a whole other topic too, but I, I don't think you can. I think a lot of our society says and populates, oh, you know, you need to buy this, you need to go do this. But I think we're both big fans of you have everything you need. It's, it's all inside. There's just this amazing capacity to grow, to heal everything. If you learn the deep listening if you learn how to work with the emotional center if you learn how to not to be afraid i absolutely think it's possible it's just i see a lot of people using the coping strategies of going outward right yes. even there's a client um a couple of weeks ago and they made a poor decision around drugs and alcohol and i said well let's look at your tool belt what were what were the options instead of you know going outside of yourself and they were like well you know this is a younger client they're like well I play on my phone and I went, great. Okay. So maybe healthy distraction, Tetris outside on your phone. Okay. What what else? They said, well, then I usually uh watch TV or a movie or play a video game. And I'm like, great, outside of yourself. What else? Yeah. And they're like, well, sometimes I call a friend. And I'm like, great, co-regulation. Also a little bit outside of yourself, right? And we sort of went through all the strategies and some of them were really good, but a hundred percent of them were outside of themselves. And I was like, what? what's the inner what's going in and they were like oh i don't go in in those circumstances because it feels like an ocean and i'm going to drown in it and i said okay i think that's why you're here i think this is where we start i think this is where we start with it right so yeah i think it's totally possible i think a lot of people just feel really unresourced about what to do with the feelings how to let go i get that question all the time how do i let it go because i keep telling myself to let it go and i know it's important but it's still in my body. It's still swirling mm -hmm. around. And so that's where a lot of the neuroscience or um, like there's certain um, things called like ERP, which are like the gold standard for like exposing yourself to the stimulus and deciding not to avoid the behavior and actually letting it get bigger and working. With and it. what does ERP stand for? ERP is exposure response prevention. Okay. So it's, it's almost like if, um, so say someone's really, really anxious say they have a really difficult time at work and they come home and they're really anxious and they're like, I can't tell like if I should stay here and their mind starts spiraling. And it's almost like um, a graph, right? Almost like the line of distress starts going up and they get to that peak energy where they go, I don't know how to work with this. And so they look around and they go, oh, I would love to have a glass of wine and to watch my favorite show and eat popcorn or something, right? And they sit on the couch and the distress goes down and they get a dopamine hit and the body goes, oh, great, because your thoughts were making me feel like we were dying. So I told you that you should avoid <laughs> feeling 
feeling like this and you should do all the things. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things, but a lot of people don't do it with conscious awareness before they can even sense what's going on. They reach for those things. And the problem is, so if we can imagine like a triangle, the stress goes up, it goes down, and then they go back to the same thing. The tricky part is that gets locked in sort of this triangle of people not feeling powerful because they go, well, every time I feel this level of anxiety, I don't know what to do. So I do this particular thing. And so people literally go, I don't know how to get through that. I struggle really hard because they don't stay with the distress long enough and resource themselves enough to actually get through the other side. And that's what we need sometimes when we look back and go, oh, I can get through this because I got through that. So there's something important about exposing yourself to the energy and leaning in and telling Mm -hmm. yourself it's actually really good that you're feeling this and working with the energy of it um, rather than leaning backwards. So a lot of it is trying to figure that out. So it's just an example, right, of like how we have everything inside of us, but we're so quick to avoid pain and we are we are taught that pain is bad. So that's another part of emotion is learning that big emotions don't have to be scary or bad. You know, we we got floaties, we got floaties in there. You just have to rediscover them. And so have you got any kind of top tips or anything for, I mean, obviously big stuff, absolutely, you need to go and visit someone and get some help because there's no point floundering on your own when someone can throw you a, you know, a life ring. But, um, but you know, anything, any top tips for what people can do to just start tuning in a little bit more and feeling a bit more empowered? It's a good question. I think when... So if we take the example again of the person that had a hard time at work, right? And they're struggling with, do I stay in my job, right? A lot of times what we need to hear, especially when the body starts becoming dysregulated, is the body, the body is like a microphone. It is constantly listening to our thoughts. And I think, I can't remember what study this was, but they basically did a study around people's thoughts and like what thoughts come out of people's minds. And they concluded, I think it was in the mid seventies, around 70 to 75% of what people think about others and themselves is considered negative. So there is something so huge around when you're experiencing distress, this is where mindfulness comes in. And this is where mindfulness practice comes in most of the time your body is literally responding to the thoughts if you're saying anxiety just means what if that's literally if you if you dumb anxiety down it is the disorder of what if it is future tripping into trying to figure out our control right so if we were to give a tip for someone maybe who's working with anxiety the body and how it's getting worked up is responding to thoughts. It is literally just a microphone listening to what's happening. And it starts this whole process of trying to take care of you and trying to fight or flight or freeze or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So most people that are working with anxiety, the more they can actually see the thoughts and separate from the thoughts and realize Am I in present time right now or did I just go completely into the future or completely into the past because anxiety doesn't exist typically in present time. It only exists into the future of what if if this happens because in present time we're usually pretty resourced to deal with something, even if it's hard so a lot of times it's looking at where is my energy and Mm -hmm. noticing oh am I going to the what ifs. Because the more that we can work with the mind, the more that the body can also regulate itself. And again, the example of the person coming home with, you know, the glass of wine or the TV show or the popcorn, you know, or whatever it is, 
those don't have to be bad things, but a lot of times we just need to be able to calm the nervous system. So I tell a lot of folks, if you are feeling dysregulated or really ungrounded, or there's that kind of flighty energy that people feel like is fear, I always tell people, take both your palms, put one big on the heart, put one big on the gut and start breathing. But your body needs to hear that you're okay. So if your thoughts have been like, I'm dying, I'm, I'm a failure, I'm not gonna be enough, I'm gonna lose this, your body's reacting to that. It needs to hear, I'm feeling really sad at my job and that's okay. I'm feeling upset because I want to feel more appreciated at work. I would love to be able to provide more things financially for my kids and I feel pressured to stay in this job so I can do that. It's okay, I'm doing my best. Our body needs to hear those kind things, our best self, I would call that our inner wisdom or our soul or our brilliant sanity, our basic goodness. Yeah. It needs to reconnect into that so that it can regulate knowing that it's okay and it doesn't have to respond to our emotions as if they're a threat because that's what it's doing. It's going into that mode because we're psyching ourselves out with our 70 something percent negative thoughts, <laughs> unfortunately. I know. And I think, I mean, that's been the overwhelming, um, the overwhelming thing that we're all dealing with is seeing the young people in our world suffering with so much anxiety. Now, I don't recall, I had, I had issues. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I was unwell, I had challenges, I was unhappy about things, but I do not recall when I was that age in my teens and early twenties, that anxiety was what I call was an epidemic like it is now. I mean, mm -hmm. so many parents are worried about the mental health of their kids because mm -hmm. they're so anxious. And I just, I mean, what's your what's your feeling on all of that? What's your take on on why it's so prevalent now? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So again, I work with a lot of psychic kids. So again, there's mm -hmm. a lot of energy mm -hmm. there. And what's interesting is it's it's twofold in a way because kids can find resources easier they are on the TikToks or the instagrams of the world and sometimes there are people that have healed themselves and they're providing information around anxiety and sometimes what it does is people almost staple themselves to the feeling of anxiety and it actually makes it bigger so there's something important i've worked with so many kids sometimes that have been in therapy for years and it's fascinating because they can talk about the anxiety they can label it they can discuss it but they're not feeling it in their system so it becomes kind of this cognitive dissonance around oh my anxiety it's almost like a scarlet letter oh my anxiety is like this my anxiety is like that and there's parts work or things in psychology where you notice that there are different parts of yourselves and you sort of name them or label them in order to befriend them but there becomes a point where people say, well, I have anxiety, I'm anxious. And there are different ways to see anxiety. Anxiety could just be seen as like excitement in the body, the body's becoming excited, which takes it a whole other direction with anxiety being like this, um, this monster sort of piece. So what I'm seeing in terms of kids and anxiety is there is this helpful way of being able to name it that is sort of coming in but it's also tricky because kids are stapling themselves to it and diagnosing themselves with it and saying, oh, I have this. And so it's sort of becoming a label or it's becoming this way that people staple themselves so much to it that they actually don't even get out of it. 
And so that's the one thing that I'm starting to see. And the second thing is that cell phones are becoming a emotional or regulation tool and they are for most people. Yeah. yeah. But there's something huge around every time um, I notice kids are having more and more fights with parents around cell phones because there is so much desire to be in connection mm-hmm. with people and co-regulation, but it's through this really weird interface that actually doesn't connect people in certain ways. It actually makes some people feel worse. So I'm noticing that a lot of kids, kids that are on their cell phones more, to be honest with you, seem to have way more anxiety because there's way more comparison. Most of them have their location settings on. So if they get home after school and they look at the location and two of their friends are hanging out at an ice cream shop immediately there's a they don't like me they're upset with me i'm bad i'm left out there's almost so much information about other people coming in that i'm noticing these kids literally are they are a million different places at once and so they're not in the body they're not regulated they're not going outside as much they're not interfacing and learning social skills as easily i think even the age of like any sort of sexual like relational energy between kids has gone up like two or three years, which maybe as a parent is a good thing, but it's literally kids are afraid of each other. Like they're, they're starting to become afraid of actually talking, social skills, all of it. So there is this preference to text someone or call someone rather than talk to someone. It, it's this way that our, our humanness is getting put in a technological way and it's causing people to not feel connected or safe with other people, especially with teenagers. And so it's a little scary. And I have to do a lot of parent coaching around cell phones because a lot of parents have a lot of guilt around how much freedom it gives them. If they give their kid an iPad or a cell phone, they get time to themselves and they don't have to be on all the time. So there can be a lot of guilt around, well, I don't want them to be on their cell phone all the time. I want them to be doing something else, but I need to be doing this over here. Mm-hmm. So like there's this, there's this crux sometimes that I see with parents with younger generations is wanting them to not be on their phones, but also parents being so absolutely exhausted about how to parent all the time and be on all the time. And I'd be curious how other generations might, uh, older generations might be disapproving of like, you know, you chose to be a parent, be a parent. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's a little bit of a web around kids and anxiety and what I see happening, a lot of it's relational anxiety. A ton of it is relational anxiety, social anxiety. Mm. Um, I don't know how to express my needs. And unfortunately, going onto the internet, resourcing themselves through it. But people on the internet making anxiety like like you staple it to you, like it's a scarlet letter. And so it becomes this like, my anxiety, you know, like kind of gall me, like my precious, like my thing that, that I'll never get over. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, Ooh, okay. And, that, and that's why, you know, this series is all about reclaiming our potential because yeah. unless we become more us, more authentic, more connected, more feeling, able to stand strong in the present moment, we miss out on a massive percentage of our potential, don't we? Because because we're such incredibly creative, powerful, empowered beings. Mm. And, you know, shutting the door on all these things. So 
You know, two days ago, I was with, um, I, I was having a conversation with a father of a 16 year old. And I, and, you know, she's just finished her um, GCSEs, which is kind of like the main exam at that age before you go on to A levels, which is uh, over here, your entry for university. And um, I said, Oh, is she going to get a job now? And he said, No, no, no. He said, um, Probably not. He said, Because most of the people I've spoken to won't employ. Uh, any young people anymore because they don't want to deal with the the phone situation I said what do you mean the phone situation and he said because they can't get off their phones and so they can't do a job of work because they're on their phones the whole time I'm just like wow you know really because surely if they're going to have a job that just means you don't get to have your phone at work you know you, you I mean but um, but it was such an accepting thing that she can't get a job because she's that age and she's on her phone and uh, no one wants to deal with the phones. But that just says to me, wow, I mean, everything you've just said, there's no connection with other people. There's no feeling. There's no present moment. And what about nature? And what about getting out and, you know, being in the outdoors and actually engaging? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's scary. It's scary. I think it's it's important hearing the story that you said because there's so many overlaps. I haven't heard that before around like literally people are not taking younger people because this is becoming not being able to focus at work. And I can see it. I can definitely see it. There's something, I think I was working a couple years ago with a 14 year old and the parents were very intense about like, you don't get Instagram until you're 15 years old, basically. Mm-hmm. And this kid was tantruming, tantruming every single day because they would go to school and everyone would be on their phones at lunch, like looking at Instagram, looking, you know, gossip, all these connections. And they felt so disconnected from what was going on because rather than everyone sitting at a lunch table and talking together, everyone's just texting each other next to each other. So not having a phone or not having that means that you are automatically disconnected from the way that your peers are choosing to connect. So whether you like it or not, you are isolated or missing out by not having a phone and not having access to things. And so it becomes this deep longing, especially in adolescence for this individuation from parents, but this co-regulation with your peers. And so it's almost as if people don't have phones they are they don't um they don't actually feel connected they don't actually feel appreciated by other people it's it's fascinating and in boulder luckily there's a lot of schools that are more nature-based there's a lot more that are art-based there's a lot that say cell phones don't come to school and they're learning these things but in big public school systems especially in the us like you can't control those things so you have to have a lot of resources or a lot of privilege to access some of these smaller very specific learning styles so it's it's tricky it's super super tricky and i i I always wonder about like the overlap right between Mm -hmm. technology around can there be ways that technology really helps people come home to themselves helps people connect i think i think there is but i think from what's being developed and the intention that's being developed i don't think a lot of the things or the popular things that kids are going into are necessarily creating the healthiest form of connection. And yes, there is so much, I think, um, 
was it two years ago, maybe three years ago, where they finally came out with like a technology addiction diagnosis, actually, because they started seeing it in treatment centers that anxiety and depression, all of it stemmed back to technology in the phone, actually. And so it was most kids relying on technology to not feel alone, basically. So there's a, there's a, there's a heart, there's a compassion there with it. But in terms of people navigating back to that basic goodness, to working with their emotions, we are not setting our kids up to be able to do that because the phone is becoming more of the parent, unfortunately, in a lot of relationships. And as far as I can tell, the phone, unless you've got a very specific healthy algorithm on Instagram, maybe where people are teaching breathing skills all the time and stuff like that, I don't see very many people learning emotional regulation skills and learning peer connection, heartfelt, you know, skills through the cell phone, unfortunately. We, well, I mean, you've, you've laid it on the table. We, we really need to do more of that. And, you know, parents who are awake to all of this, we have to make it uh, desirable to feel good. And, you know, that, I mean, that's, and I, and I, I certainly know, and I'm sure you do as well, because, you know, we've both been on both sides of the coin, otherwise we wouldn't do what we, what we do now. Uh, And I just, I think that, you know, you brought up so many amazing points. Um, You know, emotions are our bridge to consciousness. Consciousness is the way that we caretake ourselves and our planet and have a healthy society. It's how we feel fulfilled. And it's how we actually maximize our potential and we're empowered to live the lives that we want to lead. But we really, it's one thing as an adult to make those choices. And it's another thing to think we've got to caretake future generations and we need to find ways to be able to enable them to to feel good enough to want to hang on to that, that they keep doing it mm-hmm. and to use their food, phone as a tool, but not as a relationship connecting tool you know with them in the outside world Mm -hmm. i agree wholeheartedly agree there's it's a really really important line and there's a lot of ways to work through it i think there's a lot of parent groups where these types of things too are ways to give a phone but you limit the number of hours and things like that so that there's there's some sort of limit so there there are ways to do it um but yeah it, it's something that parents have to be aware of because it it seems to be in the long run a lot of the younger generations they know a lot they can point out oh i'm doing this or i'm doing that but they don't know how to emotionally get through it they don't know how to work through it and the phones become the big thing so yeah the emotions are our bridge to consciousness they are the way that we feel meaning and purpose and joy and connect back into ourselves and I guess as technology continues to go on, I hope we can hold a high frequency, like you said, around it being a tool rather than, you know, the platform that everything has to go through. <laughs> It'd be a little frightening. As a person I, who doesn't really <laughs> love my phone, I can say that, but. I, I know, I know as the person who can't, doesn't do really any social media or anything. Uh, I don't even have an Instagram account. I mean, does it, does anybody not have an Instagram account? But I don't <laughs> genuinely. Um, I keep hoping that with all these things, the pendulum swings over here and then it's got to go all the way over there before it comes back to somewhere in the middle that's workable. And I'm hoping that that's, 
you know, the learning that we're all doing at the moment is enabling the pendulum to come back somewhere into the middle. Mm. Zandra, before I ask you to share how people can reach you or work with you, um, can I just ask you for any last thoughts on reclaiming your potential and, you know, emotions and soul's purpose and how all that might fit together? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think probably the main thing I will say, and I, I love stories, so I'm going to give you like a minute of Please. Story, <laughs> but so much as I see people reclaiming their essence sort of tapping into consciousness realizing that this soul purpose exists and working through the emotional pieces i see so many people as they are moving towards health that all the old stuff like i mentioned before does come through and a lot of people don't know how to reconcile that in their mind that if they're doing the work it should be very very easy and it should be completely consistent and what i noticed and i had a really amazing meeting with a woman last week who has been working on trusting herself has been working on really being able to see her body how it looks most of us have a level of body dysmorphia where we can't actually see how our body looks there's a hyper focus and we have been working for a couple years now on her ability to connect with her best self over and over again when negative thoughts come up in all these different areas of her life and she came into my office last week just in tears and she said i don't know what's happening and i said okay paint the picture for me what's going on and she said yesterday i looked in the mirror and i could actually see myself and she just started crying and she said i could actually see myself i could see what my body looked like and i just was flooded she said, with this sense of joy and love, and I just felt perfect and not perfect in this compared to anyone else way, but I just felt perfect. I felt enough. She said it was amazing. And she said, I did all this crazy stuff and I, and I got it fixed in my head that I, every day was going to be like that now. <laughs> and she said today, um, the day I saw her, she said, I have just watched this huge wave roll through me of anxiety and she kept saying my anxiety and I said okay if we can move anxiety into the what if that's behind it what is it and she said it's the fear of not trusting myself and I said okay instead of saying I'm anxious can we say I'm having the experience where I'm not trusting myself and I and so we started going into it and she said I said is it in present time or is this past energy is there anything in your present time that you're not able to trust yourself with and she said no my life's going really well they said okay so you're doing it right there is a what if i can't trust myself old energy that is coming through like a wave through your space and yesterday you had a really high high and today part of that wave is detoxing through and we like to visualize it like a like a thorn mm -hmm. we visualize that when you're healing yourself and you're pulling out a pattern you're pulling out a thorn and as you're doing it right the scary part is sometimes it looks bigger because you're actually getting to the core of it so when you're pulling out a pattern uh, sometimes it gets bigger you notice it more it gets more annoying and that actually means you're doing it right in a way so sometimes when people are feeling the heal there is this sense that they don't have to feel the sticky stuff 
or that there aren't waves of it coming through. And so we always talk about if a wave is coming through, if you're doing it right, you're healing and you're having these big moments and you're having some lower lows, that's the celebration. That's like, oh my gosh, we're getting to the root of this and how to not take it personally and for it to be like a wave, but making sure that you stay on the beach with it. So if anyone's curious about this work or how to visualize it, there is a way of not being in alignment with your best self or working through the emotions. It's so beautiful. As we both know, there is so much radiance and joy of being. There's so much goodness on the other side but sometimes there is a detox and it sometimes isn't consistent. We can have higher days and lower days, but it means that you're getting to the end. So that's what I wanna leave folks with that are doing the work and that are curious about the work that it's a beautiful journey of it. And if there's up and down, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong because people get really stuck there around feeling like they're doing it wrong. If it's just not this transcendent, everything's perfect. You yes. know, there's not the down days or the shadow parts that come through with it. Absolutely. Um, it's, you know, some some days you're the firecracker and other days <laughs> you're in the swamp. <laughs> but um, but nature, getting out in nature and breathing in some of those incredible chemicals from the forest um, always sets your day alight, doesn't it? <laughs> Mm -hmm. um so Sandra how can people find you work with you we're going to put blurb underneath all of this and everything but um but let us know because you do work uh, virtually as well don't you I do I do psychotherapy for folks in the state of Colorado in the United States but I work with people all over the world doing what I call root medicine so it's how to run your energy different in the body and then you can access bigger abilities but you got to clear out the body system of kind of the old energy first so i do a lot of teaching or psychic readings for folks all over the world but the best place that people actually usually find me is i have a podcast that is mental health psychology and spirituality so it's a free resource and i think i'm in almost episode 40 i want to say something like that so it's a really cool resource for people all over the world to be able to access and their different emotional mental health topics whether it's fear whether it's freedom things of that nature so that's a really easy free resource but otherwise and what's it called website. what's it called and where where can people find you yeah absolutely it's called soul essence center so Soul Essence Center, and it's on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts. It's on my website. It's it's basically every main um, streaming platform. So it's really easy to find there. So it's Soul Essence Center. And then my website, where most people go to, is soulessencewellnesscenter.com. Beautiful. And we will put the links there. I've loved our conversation. Thank you so much because you've just, you know, you've just woven this really beautiful tapestry of all these thoughts and you brought in all the different cultures of healing, you know, through all the ages as well. And um, and so I'd like to say thank you. And I hope that people take away from this, um, you know, the tools that in, that we hold within us are so empowering but the starting point is being able to allow yourself to feel, which then allows your entire healing process and, and everything to be able to take place after that. So, Sandra, thank you so very much. And um, I'd love you to come back uh, in a little while and we can we can carry on and talk more. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Mel. Thank you for the medicine that you're putting out for all your viewers and everything that you all do. And 
we're all on we're on the soul team together trying to help our earth shift and hopefully there'll be a lot of people that hear this and know that they're part of the team too and they'll get to jump in and and live in more authenticity too uh-huh <laughs>